Um, we're continuing this theme of leadership tonight, but one thing we talked about last week that toward the end, we didn't get as much time to talk about because of some of the other material that was covered, but that is this idea of being this, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Um, I think fundamentally, you know, we, we t- I said a few things about the, about the salt and the light, and, and Jesus really, after talking about going through those Beatitudes, he effectively then went on to say that any disciple um, who is not living like that is about as is worth about as much as salt that doesn't have saltiness, where light is being covered. Um, and so it would be it has it has no value; it loses its value because of that. And so those beatitudes we said sort of spell out, in many ways, the character of those people who are going to be in the kingdom of God or in His kingdom. Because just prior to that, right, we had Jesus preaching repentance, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." So those things were spelled out there. And I think it's important to remember as we go forward, because I'm going to use the word leader quite a bit tonight. But when I use the word leader, I'm actually talking about the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Right. So he gave us that 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 idea that this city that's set on the hill is lit up and it's lit up because those of us who have all this electricity, it's hard to imagine. But imagine being out in the dark, working your way toward a city. And there's this light that's sitting there on that hill that is drawing you to the city. And I don't think there's a better definition of leadership than that. That Jesus himself has said that you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And one of the things I said last week what is that that's not a command to be the salt of the earth or a command to be the light of the world. He actually just stated a fact. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So he has in essence said that you are leading. You are just like that city that's up there on the hill. And you are a light that is shining a beacon of light in this world, and the way it looks is in the Beatitudes, right? The meekness, the pureness of heart. That's the way that light looks, which is so different than the world's definition of leader. So I think tonight what you're going to see is David possessed some of those same characteristics. Shouldn't be a surprise because he's serving the same God. Shouldn't be a surprise because the same things that were required or the same thing that the Holy Spirit did in David is the same thing that he does in every believer. He is conform that, that Holy Spirit is conforming us to the image of Christ. So we, it won't be surprising, I guess, when we go through these couple of chapters to see that there's some real connection between what we see in these two chapters with David. And we're going to begin in the 16th chapter and we'll end at the 17th chapter. Um, now we'll go through the 17th chapter also, so we'll have the the um, him being anointed as king and everything that, that, that surrounds there. And then we will also look at the battle with Goliath um, this evening. So does that work? Good. All right. So let's take a look at First uh, Samuel, the 16th chapter. First Samuel 16 and First Samuel 17. And I do want to say this as you go into as we go into these verses. It's been a little different than last week because it is just a, it's a narrative. So we're going to walk through the narrative, and then I'm going to go back and forth between um, the narrative and some of the notes that you have there on your page. But one thing I think is important to keep in mind with David is that David was a great king not because he was great in and of himself, but he was a great king because he served a great God. So I'm going to say that again because it's important to remember. David was not a great leader because he was great in and of himself. He was a great leader because he served a great God. And so when, when the scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart, that can't possibly be in conflict with the verse that says that the heart is desperately wicked and is deceitful. So we can assume, safely assume, that whatever heart he had that was after God, just like you, it was given to him by God. So God still remains the first cause because he gave him that heart. 
And I think you'll see it in here, but you'll see evidence of his heart that he had after God um, through this. But just important to remember that because if we don't, we end up worshiping the creature instead of the creator. Secondly, when we look at these things in his life and we don't see them in our heart, in our own, we might get discouraged. See, I can't possibly be a leader because I'm not like that. When in fact it's the same Holy Spirit that's transformed him, it's the same Holy Spirit that's transforming us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Alright, so let's start. Um, you're going to see, as we go through the text, there's four things that I wanted to pull out of here. There's a lot in here, but there are four things that I really wanted to pull out for you. I mean, they should be listed there for you. Number one, that leaders have a heart for God and it manifests itself in their lives. Now again, when I say leader, I'm talking about what? Somebody please tell me. Leader is... Start of the earth? Light of the world. You know, come on. <laughs> I'll start calling on people. <laughs> salt of the earth. Yes, light of the world. That's what we're talking about. So these people who are the salt of the earth and the light of the world have a heart for God and it manifests itself in their lives. Secondly, they faithfully lead where God has them. So where God has them now is where they are leading. What does that mean? That means that whether you're a mother, father, son, daughter, cousin, friend, member of this church, member of a community group, employee, wherever it is that God has you, you are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You should be leading exactly where he has you right now. Third, armed with faith in God, leaders are able to endure revilement, hardship, and persecution. Again, not on their own but armed with faith in God because of what he has placed in them. And then finally, leaders trust God, and this is how they do it, by continually looking back at what he has done for proof of what he will do. So they're consistent. You'll see through all the Psalms, you'll see David consistently looking back at what God has done for his assurance of what God was going to do, even when whatever he was looking at didn't seem like that was the, excuse me, that was the case. So, so oftentimes in our lives, right, what we see in front of us does it seem to indicate that God is there, that God is present? And I, will, and I think you know from the community groups you're in and from the people that you interact with is there's a lot, a lot of people in pain, right? That was why the, that's why Job was so powerful, such a powerful and timely message for all of us. So there are times when what's in front of us doesn't look like God is present, but leaders continually look back at what God has done for assurance of what he's going to do. And we'll see that as we go through this. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's start with um, Samuel 16. We'll begin at verse 1. And I'm going to read uh, probably the first 13, chap 13 chapters. Oh, my gosh. We are going to be here all night. <laughs> I'm breaking out the rest of the handouts in a little bit. Just hang <laughs> just taped under your seat. <laughs> Okay, let me stop. Okay, let me get up. All right. So, all right. So, David anointed us. Start here in chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. <clears throat> and Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? 
And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and beautiful and, and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The first thing that I want you to see here, that I think, is first of all, to kind of paint the picture of the scene here, right? We've got Saul has been rejected, has been rejected as king, and you'll see that in the previous chapters. And so there are some, there we have Samuel who's grieving over that. Actually, the, the last verse of the previous chapter says that it repented the Lord, or that the Lord didn't like it, um, regretted that he had made Saul king. You'll see that in the previous chapter, last verse. But then it says to him, why are you, why are you grieving? Because why I have appointed a king. I want you to go to Bethlehem, this little bitty town. Because there is a person there that I have appointed king. Interesting in, in all of that, when you're looking at this, and I'm not going to go through these, but this part of the verse, but it's interesting how often God uses the word choose when he goes through this. If you go back and compare that to the selection of Saul, although it's, although it's certainly you see that God is, is involved, he talks about Saul differently than the way he talks about David. It's if something very, very special is happening here. This is the one that I have chosen. So at any rate, so we go through here. The first thing you see in verse that I want to point out to you in verse uh, 7 <clears throat> is it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So we know that David, because we know the end of the story, we know that David had a heart after God. And that the heart was important. But remember what I said at the beginning. If he had a heart after God, then that means that God gave him the heart. Right? God had to have awakened him for him to have a heart that now longs after him. In the same way that any longing that we have within us toward God is because of what he's placed in us. He's placed something in us that is now drawing us to him. The same is true with David. If you turn, if you turn, uh, actually you don't have to turn. It reminds me, I put three um, verses down there for you. I'm sorry, I'm not going to go to those. I'm going to talk about them later. But leaders also then have a heart for God. The star of the earth, the light of the world, has a heart for God, and it should remind you of Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So in the same way that Jesus described the people who would be members of his kingdom, we can say that David was that same kind of person, because God is saying that I've selected someone, and I'm looking on his heart, not on his physical characteristics. Again, if you were to look back at the selection of Saul, one of the things that said about Saul is not only was he good looking, but that he was taller than everyone around him. He looked like he should be leading. And if you'll notice here, when Eliab first came out, what did Samuel say? This has to be him. 
This has to be the one. There's something physically there that says this is the one. But for God, he is looking for those, he's looking at the heart. This heart that he has placed in us is what's drawing us out to him. Amen? The second thing I want you to see in this verse, in this um, section here, is that then all of the sons have passed by. Now imagine, Samuel's come to the town, Samuel's come in, the elders are gathered, he's brought them with him, he's also gone to Jesse's house and he's brought out his sons and he's there, but David is missing. David is not present. I'm not sure why David's not present. The scripture doesn't tell me why he's not present. I can assume that Jesse didn't call him. Maybe he's this young kid who's out there watching the sheep. And so you, if you come here for this important reason, it couldn't possibly be the young son that's out there. But at the end of the day, it's important to know what he was doing. Look at verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is keeping the sheep. David was being faithful to what to the task that he had been given to do. That he was doing what his father had given him to do. In the same way, leaders are going to be faithful in doing what God has given them to do today. Wherever it is, wherever he has placed us, leaders are going to faithfully lead where God has them. I don't think there's anything wrong with each of us searching to find what is that sort of greater purpose or that greater plan or that greater place that God is taking me. But if we do that at the exclusion of the primary thing, and that is Ecclesiastes 12, 13, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So what is my purpose? Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. And whatever greater purpose he may have for you, right now he has intending sheep. Right now he has David tending sheep. We, again, we know the end of the story, so we know he ends up on the throne. But he started by being faithful to what God had given him to do. Amen? Amen. All right. Samuel's, excuse me, 1 Samuel 16, beginning in the 14th verse. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful and playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. Excuse me. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And one of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech. And a man of good presence, and what? The Lord is with him. So what we here have again, back again to David's heart, is that we know that David had a heart for God, and that somehow it had manifested itself in his life. Because these very people who are now with Saul are saying, I know this man, I know this young man who not only can play for you, but God is with him. It really, as I looked at that, it made, made me ask myself, what would they say about me? What would they say if they walked into my office today, tomorrow, and I wasn't there? Would they say that there was a man, that God was with him? Or what about you? What about you in your, in your job or in your home with your children? What would they say? Would they say, yes, God was with my father. God is with my mother. God is with my coworker. Because David led a life that apparently was so significant in this insignificant place called Bethlehem, in this insignificant job called watching the sheep, somebody knew 
that God was with them. And the importance there is that leaders have a heart after God and it reflects itself in the life that they lead. Amen? Amen. So, leaders have this heart. There's a verse in 2 Peter 2.12 that reads, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God on the day of visitation. It has manifested itself. We are, it is to manifest itself in its life. One of the problems that Israel had, even in their asking for a king, and they said, what? We want to be like everybody else around us. Whereas God would say, you're a royal priesthood, a peculiar nation. There's supposed, supposed to be something different about you. We want a king who can go out in battle in front of us. Why? Instead of who's been going out in front of you? God himself. So, so much so also with us. That as we're living this life as leaders, as we're living this life as leaders, that, that, that something is manifesting itself in our lives, that people know that God is with us. Turn with you, if you would, to John, the 15th chapter. John 15, verses 1 through 5. One of the greater challenges, one of the greater challenges, I think, is it's one thing to talk about living this life. It's another thing to say, how do I do that? I mean, what is the what is the road to, to that actually happening? Am I supposed to be doing that in my own strength? Do I just sort of, you know, kind of white knuckle my way through it? I don't know how my knuckles would ever turn out, but anyway. <laughs> if I do, it might be leprosy. <laughs> but do I just white knuckle my way through this? Right? How, how does this look? I think that Jesus gives us some insight. I think that Jesus gives us some insight in the 15th chapter. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. He says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. <clears throat> Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And finally in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. This idea, this, 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 the way in which this happens is by this continual abiding in Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you what I think, and we won't have time to get into all of this. I don't think he's talking about salvation. I think that the union with Christ is already set. As a matter of fact, if you take some time to go through those verses, there's only 11 disciples. Because the one who betrayed him is already gone. So he's only talking to people who are actually right there with him. Actual believers. So I don't think he's talking about salvation. I think he's talking about our communion and our fellowship with him. Because there are times when that is broken. There are times when that fellowship is broken. The union is set, sealed, until the, until the day of, of Christ's return. Never going to be set. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. No one can take what the Father has given me. None can take, none can pluck me from, pluck and pluck me from his hands. It can't happen, all right? But the union is necessary in order for us to be able to live this life that is laid out in those Beatitudes and requires us to abide in him. And what does that really look like? I think there's a several things, but I think there's three really key things to abiding in Christ. 
One is we have to have we have to be faithfully reading his word. There is Jerry talked about it today. There, I mean, there is no way to abide in him without this. I can't tell you how much to read, how often to read, how long to read when you're reading it. I can only say that that ability to abide in Christ so that I am actually reflecting that light that he talks about requires me to faithfully read his word. Second, we have to be faithful in listening and getting our, getting our opportunities to hear preaching of truthful preaching of God's word. I can't stress how important it is and how valuable it is that we have not one, but three pastors who can deliver, faithfully deliver truthful word, the truthful word of God. And how important that is to our ability to abide in Christ. So we've got to be reading his word. We've got to be sitting under truthful preaching. And number three, pray without ceasing. Again, I can't tell you when to pray without ceasing. It sounds like I'm praying all the time. So pray without ceasing. Those are three critical elements to abiding in Christ. If that desire is to lead, if that desire is ultimately, if that desire is to ultimately be that light that Jesus has said that I am, then it's going to require that I abide in Christ, that I read his word, that I sit under truthful preaching, and that I pray. And I do it without ceasing. Amen? Amen. We go back to First Samuel. The only other thing I want to say about that is that also as we look at this in terms of manifesting itself before um, David's life manifesting itself before these people, then also should remind us of one of the um, uh, in the Beatitudes that we read, read last week when uh, verse sixteen, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So again, once again, we see that the same thing that Christ is saying about us. Is exactly what we see in David's life. That he too had a life that was manifesting his heart for God in it. First Samuel 16, going back to the 19th verse. Is that clear? Any questions about that? Is that clear? All right. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. The first thing, again, kind of going back to something I've said earlier, and that you note again that where does Saul say that, that, that David is at? Where does he say he's at? With the sheep. Yeah, with the sheep. He's, again, again, faithfully doing what, what he's been called to do. So he's faithfully serving where he has been called to serve. And what's interesting is that, is that after he then comes to, to, comes to, the, to the palace with Saul, it says that he became his armor bearer. So he's now going from a place, although he's going to remain still with the sheep, he's going from a place of not just tending the sheep, but now I'm the armor bearer for the king. In other words, as a result of that faithfulness, as a result of that faithfulness, he is now being given an opportunity to do more. He's been an opportunity to do more. 
As I said, sometimes we're looking for what is that thing that God has for me. I need to first be faithful over what he's given me. He's given me a family that I've already been charged with shepherding and leading. I need to do that well before I do anything else with anyone else. So before there can be a community group in our home, we need to make sure that we've got a community group happening in our home. Amen? Amen. Do we have a community group? Okay, good. <laughs> they didn't read the script. Shout out to <laughs> He would be my son. <laughs> Without a doubt. So, yeah, so this idea, and I think, if, you know, when I, when I was reading that, you know, it's interesting. The thing is the position that David is in. Because remember, David's just been anointed king. Right? Samuel's come to him and anointed him. He is the king. Why not say, I don't want to be the armor bearer for the king, because I am the king. God has called me to be the king. I've been anointed to be the king. Matter of fact, why ever go back and tend to the sheep? I go from being anointed. They didn't even call me to the meeting. Samuel had to tell me, had to tell him to go get me for the meeting. And now I'm here and I've been anointed king, and guess what? Now you're sending me back to the sheep. Amen. <laughs> That's a heart after God. <laughs> That's not me. That's a hard, that's a hard after God. I'm sure it's all of y'all. <laughs> but that is a hard after God. Because I'm gonna go to the I'm gonna go to the palace and serve the very person that I'm going to be replacing. Oh, what a God we serve. Also, beauty in that. The other beauty in that is because where else is he gonna learn about what it look what it's like to live in the castle until he goes and lives in the castle? So he's gonna go and be the armor bearer. Oh yeah, he's not going to be the armor bearer, but by being the armor bearer, he's also going to understand what it's like to be king, what it's like to be here, what it's like to have servants. He's a shepherd boy from Bethlehem. What does he know about servants? Oh, our God is great. Amen. Yes, brother. Sounds like Moses. How so? Well, he got to grow up in the Pharaoh's uh, household. Yes. So how how else could he learn about it? He was next. God was preparing you for something. Amen. Amen. He was preparing you for something. And here's what's beautiful about that. He's preparing you for whatever it is that he wants you to do. Whatever it is that he wants you to do, he's preparing you. Even though right now you may be just hanging out with stinky sheep. Now I'm from the city. I'm assuming that all sheep stink. <laughs> I'm just, they stink, don't they, baby? They do. <laughs> so I'm assuming that all sheep stink. So you may, be, you may right now be with stinky sheep. But be faithful to the sheep. Because God is demonstrating that when he's ready to move you to, to the wherever he's taking you, he will have prepared you for it. And that's what he's doing in David's life. But I love this heart that David has after God because there's no pride rising up in him. There's none of this, I'm the, I'm the king, I don't have to be an armor bearer, you carry my armor. None of that. None of that stuff. Amen? Amen. 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 The, sec the last thing I want to, well, before we move on, the other thing I think that's interesting here is that if you remember in the parable of the talents, right, and the man had given the talents and, there was, and he left and when he came back, some of the, some of the people who got talents had done more with it, had multiplied it, and then there was one who had buried it in the ground and hadn't done anything with it. This is what this reminded me of. Because he says to him, his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. David has been faithful with the sheep and eventually he's going to be the king of Israel. Amen. Amen. That's what God is doing. So as a leader, we have to make sure that we are being faithful to, to lead where God has us. The last thing I want you to see in this chapter, which I think is so important, is in verse number 23. 
And it says, And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. David's behavior had an impact on Saul. We said earlier that leadership is about impact. Leadership is about impact. If I'm the light of the world, I'm having impact. I may not be traveling to Madagascar, but I'm having impact. I'm not traveling to Madagascar. <laughs> Can't even get me to go to Canada. <laughs> but no, may not be doing that, right? But at the end of the day, we have this opportunity. We have been given this incredible treasure that I can now share with others. Sometimes in words, sometimes in deeds, sometimes both ways. But at the end of the day, being faithful where God has placed me and my behavior should have an impact on the people around me. Much like the salt and the light, they both fundamentally change anything they come into contact with. Light disperses the darkness and salt, we've already talked about last week, salt has a fundamental, fundamentally changes the food that you sprinkle it on. The same with us in our lives. And this is what we see in David, that his behavior had an impact on Saul. It didn't save Saul. My behavior is not going to save anyone. That's how quickly that up to God. My behavior is not going to save anyone. Pastor, my, my pastor used to say, he told me something a long, long time ago that I think is so important, particularly for those of you who are parenting kids. I made the statement, may not be the exact words, but I basically made the statement that one of the reasons why I want to make sure I teach, these, teach my kids who God is, is because that way they can turn out to be and you fill in the blank, whatever that is. And what he said to me is, you need to be faithful in teaching them who God is because that's what God commanded you to do. And you let God fill in the blank. You're not doing it so you can fill in the blank. You're doing it because God told you to do it. And that's what we've got to be. So whatever that is, whatever we're leading, it may or may not save anyone. It's not going to save anyone. That's going to be up to God. But it can have an impact on the people around us. Amen? Amen. All right, let's look at the next chapter. So the 17th chapter, just a second here. Let's look at the first 11 verses. And we're going to go through this whole chapter. We'll stop before we get to the actual end, but... We can't end without seeing Goliath die, right? <laughs> Did I spoil it for someone? <laughs> I'm sorry if I spoiled the story. I know we regret this, like, dude, I can go. <laughs> you had your popcorn all popped. <laughs> so, yeah, so we can't end without seeing Goliath die because that's so important. But let's look at these first. Now, let's start with just the first 11 verses. Again, I think we're going to see this faithfulness of David. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And I'm going to mispronounce a whole lot of words, just so you know. But until you're the one up here reading them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, anyway. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko. Soko. Thank you, Which belongs to Judah. And encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damon. Amen. 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 Close enough. Thank you. And so, don't say it with a question mark. We'll just always say it with authority, right? Yeah, everybody else thinks you know what you're talking about. You let your secret out. <laughs> if you didn't get anything else from our time together, we got that. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right. So, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up 
the, the line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came up from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. He's scared. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I, I try to look up how much, how tall is that many cubits. It's just big. You know, you're talking about an excess of nine feet here. And he had nine, nine, thank you, nine feet nine. Almost, almost like you. <laughs> Except you're not scary, brother. Not at all. You don't scare me at all. <laughs> so don't get in my community group. This is what happens to you. You get picked up. So, but uh, but yeah, he's big, right? I mean, big, scary. All of this armor is on him. I also think it's interesting as you read through this. It's also interesting the time, right? Because we've got this Saul who's been rejected. You know, Samuel. The scripture says that Samuel didn't see Saul again until after his death, right? So we've got the king's been rejected. God's not with the people, and this sort of. Satan-like person shows up on the scene. I mean, just scared. Just scared. So it shouldn't be a surprise, I think, in a little bit when we see that the people who looked at him were scared. But let's continue. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before... How much? How big is a shield bearer? You, and he... He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. <clears throat> they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So again, we've got this scary figure that's on the scene, and he's challenging Israel to bring somebody out to fight me. So much so, if you come out, if you can kill me, we'll be your servants. We will be your servants. So this is the, the scene that's painted where we're going to see David show up. So let's <clears throat> let's continue. Verse twelve. Now David was the son of an. Ephraimite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shaman. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David, listen to this, David went back and forth from Saul to feed his sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. I love this. Still faithful to the sheep. Still, take, still taking care of the sheep. He's been anointed king, but still being faithful to what God has given him to do. And when you think in terms of just symbolism or typology, which I, this we don't have time to get into, just like Jesus Christ. Faithful to the sheep. Still doing, still about his father's business. Jesus Christ, still about his father's business. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. So anyway, 
Again, he could have, as I said earlier, he could have easily just, just said he didn't, want to, he didn't want to care for the sheep anymore. But it says here he keeps going back and forth and taking care of the sheep. We've got to keep remembering that. You know, to me, I, I was looking at this, my, my wife was reviewing my notes yesterday and then her words, but I think yesterday, one of, several things she said, but one of the things, that, the one she, the criticism I won't share with you, but. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Did you read the same chapters I read? <laughs> Actually, what she said was, there's a consistent theme in here. I mean, there is a consistent theme. And I think anytime, anytime you're going through a section of scripture and there's repetition of words, repetition of statements, repetition of themes, there is something that the Holy Spirit is driving home. There is something that he's trying to tell us, which is why you see this repetition of why, why keep telling us that David's going back to the sheep. There must be something important about that. There must be some reason why that's so significant. I think one of the reasons is because he's being faithful to what God has given him to do. And that is his job. Even though I've now been promoted to armor bearer, I still got to run back and, t- and make sure those sheep that I care about are taken care of. Amen? Amen? All right. Pick up at verse 17. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some, to- some token from them. Now Saul and they... And all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning, look at this, and left the sheep with the keeper. Still taking care of the sheep. Still, still looking out for the sheep. Left the sheep with the keeper before I go and take care, go and take care of my brothers. I'm going to make sure that the sheep are, are being taken care of. Continue. <clears throat> and so, excuse me, left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment, he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine Goliath, the Philistine of Gad, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen the man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said, and David said to the man who stood by, listen to this, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I think that's a, he's calling himself the name. <laughs> who is this uncircumcised Philistine and what? Should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. So David immediately recognizes this for what it is. If this, this, uncircumcised Philistine, as he's called him, is defying the armies of the living God. So who is this, and why is this happening? I'm sure he's looking around at all of these people thinking, why is this happening out here? Right? Because David's heart is drawn out to God. Because this is the same David that we'll see in just a second, the same David who's fought lions and bears. Right? So when he, so he again is going to know that the same thing that God has done previously, God can do right now. So let's keep, amen? Amen. amen. 
So let's keep going. Listen to what happens. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard what he spoke as to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from them toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. So let's pause there for just a second. We, what we see here is that, <clears throat> is that David has to endure some revilement. Remember one of the things I said at the beginning is that leaders are going to be, by faith in God, are going to be able to endure persecution, endure revilement. He's actually not done anything wrong. <clears throat> actually, he's speaking truth, right? He's actually just speaking truth. Nevertheless, not only does it say his brother's anger was kindled against him, but he said, I know of the evil that's in your heart. It reminded me of something. It should remind you of something. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Matthew 5, 11, we read it last week. The same thing is happening to David right now. And what's interesting in this, in this is this is his own flesh and blood. Sometimes, the persecution comes from those nearest to us. It's not always outside of the house. It's not always outside of the family. Darren and I were talking just the other day, just yesterday, I guess it was. We were talking just yesterday about the fact that we have, we know of people, obviously there are Christians in other countries who are who we would say are truly being persecuted. Yet God says we're going to be persecuted. What does that look like in our lives? Sometimes it's the people who are closest to us. Sometimes it's those relationships that we no longer have. Sometimes it's the fact that they no longer want to talk to you. And all the pain that's associated with trying to live a life according to God's word. That that's the kind of persecution that's going to come. And that's what he's enduring right now. But by, God, but by God's grace, he's absolutely able to endure it. Amen? Yes. Continuing with verse 31. And when the word... I'm sorry, one other thing. Notice that David didn't respond in like kind, right? He, he didn't strike out. He didn't argue. He said, well, what have I done? Other than, my words would be, what did I do other than tell the truth? I, mean, I, I didn't do anything. And then it says he turns away from him and, keep, <laughs> and keeps going, right? And just keeps doing what he's doing, witnessing for God, right? Because that's essentially what he's saying to everyone who's afraid, is that we can take him because God can take him, right? And he continues doing it. In spite of the fact he's been sitting on it, just said he has evil. His own brother said he had evil in his heart. I love David. I love that he didn't respond. How would you have responded? How'd you respond this morning? <laughs> How'd you respond last week? I know you're just like me, right? The beauty in this is that the same spirit that restrained David is the same spirit that's been planted in us. And as we abide in Christ, and He continues to conform us to the image of him, to His image, we too can respond this way. Jerry was just talking about it this morning. He said, yes, yes, it is hard, and he means it. He actually means I'm supposed to pray for my enemies? Yes. Yes, he actually means I'm supposed to pray for my enemies. How hard is that? You don't have to answer. I know. How many of them are on your prayer list? So you're with me, right? <laughs> so you're with me. How many of them are like on that list when you're praying in the morning? I know. That I'm supposed to be praying for those people who, who mistreat me. Wow. Wow. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's move on. 
So in verse 31, and when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Let's start at the end of that and work our way back. First of all, let's see this. That by faith, David clings to what God has done for proof of what God is going to do. As leaders, as the light of the world, as the salt of the earth, we want to continually be reminding ourselves and reminding each other of what God has to do, because that's what the faith will, that's what our faith will cling to as we look forward to what God is going to do. And that's what we see, that's what we see um, David doing. That's why David could write, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So we see him reminding himself, not boasting, like I did all this. If he just left it there, you might think he was boasting. But he told you who did it. God did it. And the same way he did it with the lion and the bear, he's going to do it with this Philistine. One other thing I want you to see in here is that David, excuse me, let me get here. So here it is. The other thing that I think is beautiful in this is that David talks about, David references this lion and this bear taking this one sheep and him going after it. I mean, think about that. Man, that just struck me. Think about that. One sheep. And I'm going to go, I mean, how many people would do that? I mean, it's only one. It's only one, and it's a lion or a bear. But that is that I think we see in there, not only the care that he has for his sheep, but I think it is pointing us ahead to the care that Jesus Christ has for us. That even if one of us wanders away, he's going to come and get us and bring us back. Amen? Amen. Amen. It took me a while to find it, but that's beautiful, huh? It was worth the search. <laughs> it was worth the search. All right. Finally, let's look at 38 through 49. And I think you're going to see all four of these themes come up through these next verses. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with the coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, as, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was a, but a youth, ruddy and handsome in his appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. So we've got this scene where, where now David is there with his stones and his staff. And we've got the Philistine with all, don't forget all the armor. We've got the Philistine with all of his armor. And he's looking at him. He's going, again, am I some kind of dog that you're coming out here with sticks and stones? And what, what is, who are you? And just, and now come over here and I will ensure that your flesh is left here for the birds to eat. Look at, look at, look at David's response. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me. <laughs> the righteous are bold as a lion is what the Proverbs say the righteous are as bold as a lion because he knows that he has God with him so he says you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin but I come I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not by the sword and spear for the battle is the Lord and he will give you into our hand. Amen. David was so focused he was so sure that God was going to take care of him because God had taken care of him. For each of us, wherever God has called us to lead, we've got to continually be reflecting back on what he has done for us. This is the same David that said what? Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Something about that name. We're going to remember the name of the Lord our God. We're not going to trust in the chariots. We're not going to trust in the horses. You don't even need the trees. About to show him, you shouldn't even have trust in that armor that you're wearing. Because you have not, it's not us. It's not us. It's God that you are actually standing up against. What is that for you? I mean, what is it? What is it? And where are you in your own life? What is it that you're facing? A couple of you sent me notes this week about things that you're struggling with and the pain that you're enduring. What is it for you? And all I can do is point you back to God. All I can do is point you back to God. Because that is the place where we can find our comfort. That is the place where we can find our strength. Amen? Amen. So, let's finish up this, this, this story here. So when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. A forehead that was covered by a helmet. <laughs> Only God. Only God. All right. Struck him on his forehead. The salt stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine. Here it is, Mary Beth. This is the part I brought up earlier. <laughs> You're actually sitting there with baby breath. Oh, what's going to happen to David? <laughs> and David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood up the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shalem 
as far was that with confidence, Darren? I'm sorry. Shem, as far as Gad and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor, he put his armor in his tent. Again, I think if you look at those the 41 through 44, you will see that armed with faith in God, leaders are able to endure revival. Because that's what that's essentially what happens when he faces the Philistine. Is he says, who are you? And come on over here, and I'm going to put you to death. If you take a closer look at verses 45 through 47, leaders have a heart for God, and it manifests itself in their lives. And leaders trust God and continually look back at what God has done for proof of what he is going to do. And finally, in 48 through 49, you see that leaders faithfully lead where God has them. This is the essence of leadership. There is no magic formula. Oh yeah, we can talk about communication and all kinds of things that I think can equip you to lead. But we've got to begin with the first things. We've got to begin at the foundation. And that, that foundation is that I fear God and keep his commandments. I want to leave you with two verses. The first one we've read already, but I want to read it again. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't do anything else this week, seek to abide in Christ. There's nothing you need to do to keep yourself in Christ. Right? Because that's already set. He's already done that for us. We're already secure in him. But this week, let's try to keep fellowship with him through the reading of his word and through prayer. That we would stay in fellowship with him because that's the way the fruit is going to be produced. That's the way men will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And finally, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Pray. And when you don't feel like praying, pray that God will help you to feel like praying. I don't know if you've ever been there before. You just don't feel like praying. Help me to feel like praying. I don't feel like reading my Bible today. Help me to feel like it. Help me to do it regardless of how I feel. Sometimes I find myself reading and I feel like it's not having any impact on me. Because I'm I'm looking to feel something. I want to feel something. (laughs) But sometimes I don't feel anything. But his word never returns to him void. And if we will faithfully pursue him, if we will faithfully seek to abide in him, he will deliver us just like he delivered David. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this time that you've given us together. We thank you for the way you worked in David's life. We thank you for the example that you've, this record of him that you've left for us. But more importantly, we thank you for the way it points us to you. We pray as we go our separate ways this week that uh, we would faithfully um, pursue you. That we would faithfully pursue you through your word. That we would pray. That we would humble ourselves before you. And we pray, Father, that you then would hear and answer our prayers. And deliver us from all the things that are waiting for us this week. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.